Hi guys, this is James with Ground Force Strength and Conditioning Training Systems. Now bringing you a new podcast, new episodes, trying to be a little bit more dedicated to the podcast game, <laughs> trying to get some more information out there to coaches and athletes and parents just like me who want to find something better for their youth athletes. So this is all things youth athletics. Welcome to Ground Force Strong. Today's guest is with Dr. Donald Lowry. Dr. Lowry holds his uh, doctorates in chiropractic medicine and neurology, as well as two bachelor's in science degrees, one from Auburn University in uh, pre-med biology. Uh, we are excited uh, to, to have Dr. Don on the podcast, and what you're about to hear is a uh, recorded conversation that we were discussing along the lines of assessments and integrative health to where youth athletes, uh, one, at what age are, are youth athletes acceptable to go to uh, a chiropractor? Um, what would the needs be? What would that look like? And from a strength and conditioning perspective and sports performance that specifically works with youth athletes, we wanted to find out the best approach and kind of get a, a feel of if we are headed down the right path and kind of got reinforced that we have an onboarding process for our athletes called the ground up approach. So we take the athletes, we, we have an orthopedic assessment, we have a biomechanical assessment and a uh, neurological assessment. And we want to look at everything that we can to say with a functional movement screening. Um, and we don't do the full seven series of the FMS, but we are uh, doing the overhead squat, the inline lunge. We're doing shoulder uh, mobility as well in the FMS. But we wanted to make sure that we're headed down the right path. We, we, we've, we've reassured and, and we're always adjusting and improving our onboarding process with athletes to give parents the best information, to give the athletes the best information uh, currently available. And I feel like we are uh, headed in the right path. So without further ado, here is Dr. Donald Lowry. All right, so we're continuing our discussion of determining where someone's dysfunction is. Where's the limitation? Right. When we're looking at um, the function of the body as far as uh, athletes being able to excel. So we're looking at it at, you know, where's the limitation? And being able to identify that limitation and then enhancing that limitation um, would, would produce a better athlete. Right. And... Uh, a lot of different doctors seem to take it at different levels as far as or therapists, uh, strength coaches, etc. Look at it from, yeah. you know, if you look at it as A affects B, B affects C, and you look at it, how far downstream do you look at it? And if you go back to A, structure, and where things are attached, you know, and you look at the myofascial therapy, myofascial um, tissue that's established, you know, so you have joint, you have muscles, you have myofascial tissue yeah. so you look at everybody as layered we're, we're layered creatures yeah. and it's what right. layer is that dysfunction at some people their layers you know it's a deeper dysfunction and then the layers above it are affected some people don't need that much but you look at symmetry 
and you look at the layers, where is the dysfunction at? And that is where people would come in and look at it and say, listen, I, I know that I can run faster than I can, okay? I know I can lift more. Something's keeping me from doing that. Yeah, what's stopping me? Right. Yeah. And that's where you have professionals that evaluate, that can evaluate, you know, um, strength versus range of motion versus function. So it's musculoskeletal function. If you function at your highest level, then you're going to perform at your highest level. So, uh, you know, and, that, and basically we're, we're going to divide that into different areas where um, you have, we'll say, joints, which mm -hmm. is my specialty. Yep. Um, the function of the joints. But also what I've noticed is when you have that dysfunction of the joint, then a dysfunctional joint will bring uh, calcium and arthritis and aging to the joint even before it's time. But what's immediately affected around that also is the harder tissue, so not just the muscles, the myofascial. The myofascial. Mm -hmm. right. So and for people who don't understand what myofascial is, um, the myofascial layers, if you go to the uh, grocery store and you have the, um, if you look at that silvery coating that's on meat, Okay, that's the myofascial layer, and that's there to compartmentalize the body into different functions or layers. So you have deep fascial layer, you have middle, and you have superficial. So breaking that down as far as just the fascia itself and find out where the restriction is. So an, an example would be if you have, you know, um, uh, paraspinal muscles like thoracic paraspinals, they're running north and south. You've got rhomboids, right, running east and west. So if you have... Bye. All right, bye. If you have any type of uh, trauma, dysfunction in that area, your body will build up what they call fibrotic adhesions, which are mm. cross-links. So you no longer have that glide where you have that, that north and south and east and west right. because you've got a fibrotic adhesion. Okay, Now you have dysfunctional uh, myofascial uh, sheathing. Okay? So once you use that glide, everything under it functions less. So looking at it from that perspective and then like your perspective as far as strengthening you know if you're not getting that that glide you know you got to strip all that stuff out and then then you you get down to balance you know so that's kind of what I what I look for when I look at function um, as far as you know where where's the dysfunction at what how deep does it go is it is it a soft tissue issue is it a, is it a, a joint issue because um, yeah with um, for instance, we obviously our specialty is more like youth athletes, and it's that forward head posture. They're sitting at desks all day. They're not as active as they used to be. And then we get into these athletics, and strength coaches will not because they don't maybe understand or know, but let's say that the, they try to start teaching an athlete to clean, and that athlete is not in the best position already for that function. Um, so Posturally. Posturally, right. yeah. There, there's Not to say that that athlete couldn't do it, but as a strength coach and, a, and a, trying to be a forward-thinking strength coach, what exercises are going to suit best right now for that athlete as we continue the evaluation and as we continue, you know, exercise progression, mm -hmm. um, it's tying in those correctives, but it is it starts with that foundational movement what um, what is the dysfunction and I think that's why the screenings are so important um, across the board whether it's a functional movement screen whether it's a posture analysis something that already kind of identifies and gives us a baseline um, I, I want to run faster well 
you don't know how fast you're running until you time yourself. Right. And then you go back and you do your training and then you time yourself again. And it's those same principles. If we're, if we're, we're doing the baseline testing um, and we're in scene, we, we choose the appropriate exercises, at least we, we try to for the athlete, then it's let's retest and see where, see where they're at. At what age would you say you would put your hands on 15, 16 year old? Is it, or is it something like you would give them a different set of advice rather than um, the 19, 20 year old, right? As far as the maturity of, of everything, what would you tell parents? Because I've, we, we hear it all the time, my 14 year old goes to Cairo, right? Mm-hmm. Or my 15 year old goes to Cairo. And whether that's good or bad, depending on the athlete and their situation, but as a generalized statement, if your 14 year old is going to a Cairo, is that your red flag? Um, well, it depends on what they're going for, you know, because you have different disciplines. So if they're going for um, joint dysfunction at that age, I mean, you really shouldn't have much joint dysfunction at that age. It should be a matter of, you know, have they had x-rays to determine, first of all, symmetry. You know, is there any, um, you know, for instance, if you have, if you have a, a child that has had a leg fracture, okay, the femur, the growth plates in the femur are going to be, um, they're, they're going to grow slower. So the other leg's going to keep on growing at the right rate, but you may have a decreased uh, lengthening in the femur on the affected side. That in itself can create a slight imbalance, okay. Now you have a postural imbalance, which no matter how much you strengthen, you're never going to get it straight. So you may just need to, you know, insert a heel lift or uh, compensate for the fact of, you know, that you're going to have the pelvis slightly altered, whether it's shoes or whatever, mm-hmm. and then you can build the spine properly. But, you know, so the first thing would be postural analysis to make sure that they don't have a leg length discrepancy. Uh, do they have scoliosis? Yep. You know, because you have different types of scoliosis. You have idiopathic, which is, means that, you know, you just didn't grow symmetri- symmetrical. Okay, so we grow as mirror images left and right, and if you're typically, most of it that's idiopathic is because your ribs did not grow at the same rate on both sides. One side has grew shorter, the other side grew longer, and then your spine has to compensate for it. Right. And that's why you get rib humping. So if you look at somebody and you look at them from behind, have them bend over to touch their toes, you look at their back, okay? Is it flat on one side and humped on the other? That would tell you that there's asymmetrical rib development, okay? That would tell you that you possibly have a, um, a lateral deviation in the spine, okay? So um, that lateral deviation, that would tell you that, all right, there's an underlying issue that you're only gonna get that person so far. Yeah, okay? makes yeah. sense. Okay. Makes sense. And it, so, which is a great segue into our rotational athletes, right? And now it makes sense for the, the soccer players who may only use their right or only use their left. They're, mm-hmm. They're training to, to have that torque, they're training to have that rotation, and their posture is now off. You know, they may not assume right then, let's say the first three years, it could be five years of development or 30 years of development. Like uh, a Tiger is a great example. Mm-hmm. Um, baseball players uh, are a great example. Um, uh, for me being a former soccer player, that's a prime example. I think which I'm a half inch shorter on my left mm-hmm. than my right, so and that makes sense because I'm my right foot got and my right leg got way more hip separation mm-hmm. than my left. My left was always taking impacts, was compounding, 
and that creates that, that tilt. Um, what advice would you give that 14, 15 year old's parent? You know, the basic screens are great, but if your athlete is f practicing four times a week, five times a week, and they're only training in that range, right? They're, they're training to be a tennis player or golfer or whatever it is. Instead of them developing that athleticism, and that's what we, we kind of preach is, you can go play whatever sport that you like, but I think that it's absolutely, you're missing the fundamentals if you don't train both sides. Um, what advice would you give that parent that's just dead set on, you know, my son is a baseball player, my, my daughter is a volleyball player. What, what advice would you give them? Um, th to work on it symmet symmetrical, <clears throat> to keep them symmetry. So they could, if they're a baseball player or a, a golfer, that they can perform the exercises on both sides because then they're only building up one side of the rotary spine. So, but it's important to have the same flow one way. So you continue to, to work on your swing if you're a lefty, working on a lefty, but when you work on the lefty um, with the bat, okay, you wouldn't have any weight or anything. You would just work on a smooth swing, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. But when you work on the weights, you'd work on the weights right and left. So you would build that symmetry up. Yeah. Um, and that will take the pressure off to where you won't have any spinal issues. Uh, you'll actually have a stronger swing. Um, you know, basically it'll it'll fire off those pathways and what and you know people are misguided when they say that there's muscle memory there is no such thing as muscle memory all you're doing is firing off the pathway from the brain to those muscles because the muscles don't have any memory right okay it's right. pathways that you're firing and when you fire and that was the reason why tiger was so good at what he did because he started early firing those pathways off so it's just over and over once you know you're in that you're in that gate, you're in that, that time zone or that window where you're retraining the brain because you're firing off that pathway. Once you've developed those pathways and then you try to reinforce that, it's a totally different deal. That's why people mm -hmm. that are at a higher level, they start early in their lives because you are your neurological system is growing while you're taking the swings. So if I decided I wanted to take up golf and never did before, my pathways have already set. Okay, I can work on rebuilding those pathways, okay, building new pathways, but I'm never going to develop pathways like mm -hmm. I would if I was developing. So the earlier you develop those pathways, and that's why I was saying if you swing the bat or swing the club, you don't want to do it in a weighted environment. You want to keep that flow to we're always doing it that way, but yeah. you want to strengthen it on both sides. And that's so developing those pathways at an early age is, would be super important. That's be, the difference would, of, of a tiger. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Usain Bolt, right? Or that, yeah. that elite athlete that started sprinting pre-puberty. Didn't wait till they're 14, 15 to start training, but pre-puberty, yeah. you know, 8, 9, 10, working on those sprints, they have trained neurologically over time. By the time they're 18, 19, they're, you know, world, world champion. Yeah. So 10 years, right? With that, that 10 year theory is probably true. Um, eight years, 18 year olds, whatever it is, but you're probably not going to be really good at it until 10,000 10, hours or 10 years later, whatever, how many hours you're, you're putting in. Um, but that also, that continuous rotary torque, the, the solid movement, 
and not training the other side leads um, us to common deficiencies, ACL injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, a lot, I think some pre- preventable um, injuries simply just from over training, over, you know, over swinging, over throwing, mm-hmm. over kicking, just continuous torque without training the other side, like you said before. Um, if your 15 year old is playing soccer nonstop, what do you do? What, who do you go seek? What, if you're on Google and you're searching, like, what is it that you're looking for? What should parents look for in their trainer or in their coach or in their doctor, their sports medicine staff, whoever's involved? I guess if it's your child, who, who or what are you looking for? Um, somebody that's evaluating their function. Just from the beginning? Yeah, from the, from the beginning that's evaluating structure and function. Well, okay. Right. You know, first you're starting off with the structure, you know, and uh, if the structure is there, the structure is symmetrical, you have that to build off of. Then it's a matter of, um, you know, getting the proper strength training. And, and that's the thing, too. You're testing both sides, you know, is right as strong as the left. And a lot of our testing doesn't have that. We don't have testing that shows, am I just as strong on the left as I am on the right? Right. You know? Um, not, not unless you tear an ACL and then you have to go to PT and then they put you into all of these single, you know, uh, single leg exercises. It, it has right. to, it's so, for me, the, the, it's almost, a, a, instead of being progressive in the thought, it's almost a regressive statement to say, well, yeah, my, my, my knee is back to 90%. My left knee is still at 70. Right. I, I think it's all about balance. I mean, it's, it's definitely about balance because you have an agonist and an antagonist antagonistic muscle. I mean, if you think of it, if you were to exercise your biceps every single day and never work your triceps out, right? You, your tricep has to relax for your bicep to contract and you build a body where you're in, in a constant state of flexion. Yeah. Whereas, you know, that arm is going to be good for everything in flexion, but for extension, it's not going to be very good. Right. So if you are working up the swing on one side, then you're not building the other symmetrical muscles that have to pull you back into a, an alignment to where you have a you know one side is a mirror image you know so you know it that that's basically the functional part of it um, so there's different I mean and that's the problem there's no one stop shop for that you know like we do one of the things we do as chiropractic doctors we have what they call a surface EMG machine mm-hmm. so a surface EMG other people use them too but it scans the spine on a left and right basis and it gives you a picture of the actual spine and what it will do is it'll show you you know red green yellow for areas of trigger points okay um, and that'll tell you alright at T7 the muscles are pulling tighter on the right than they are on the left you know so um, like you know one test you can use I do on kids I have them lay face down and if you take your fingers on each side of the spine and you take your fingernails and you kinda of just scrape down the spine on each side where they stay red in their back is where the dysfunction is because they're not getting proper, proper circulation. So, well, that's yeah. a good that's a good little tip for parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, I mean, that's very simple. What I do and, and kids kids bodies will tell you more than when you're adults. See, when you're adults, you build in these layers of dysfunction. Kids don't have those layers. Yeah. So you're working with the innermost layer. So evaluating it, you know, getting evaluated. Are they are they medically sound? You know, mm-hmm. are they structurally sound? And then you now you're building on that. You know, yeah, I remember you telling me about the Olympians coming in, working earlier on in your career. Those guys that you would, 
you would try to adjust and you would try nothing nothing to do right nothing to do so yeah so if you take and that's where you know when things don't move in your body then your body stops um, allowing those movement to happen so it breaks down you know Um, like there's there's a symptom there's a syndrome in our field in medical field called ankylosing spondylitis where if you look at the spine that the body is overproducing calcium and it literally calcifies the whole spine so each segment looks like there's calcium like melted candle wax from one segment to the next and literally it fuses your spine all the way up but what you will find is that when you look at the x-rays you'll see it on the left but you won't see it on the right for most patients because the aorta the pulsations from the aorta which is movement mm-hmm. keeps the calcium from from actually depositing Oh, that is yeah. Highly, so yeah. that shows you right there. Motion changes function; it changes structure. So, wow. yeah. But with the with the athletes, um, yes, early on, you know, you take anybody off the street, you took a hundred people off the street, you're going to find some t- some type of joint dysfunction, yeah. um, because of the wear and tear and the gravitational forces on our body and the fact that we don't stretch and do all the things we should do. But these Olympic athletes came in and they didn't have any joints that didn't work that all their joints functioned. I couldn't find any joints that needed to be adjusted, but that's why they perform at that level. So yeah. you have that type, if you everything works for you, you're gonna perform at a higher level, you know? Very and, true. And, and that is what it takes to be to do that. And they do that because of the training, because they have built symmetry into their body, they build strength into their body, and they don't overuse one area. Makes sense, yeah. yeah. I can, uh... I can only imagine um, having that that level of skill and not wanting to protect it. Um, but I wanted to go back just a second and the calcification of the spine, is that a protective mechanism in our own cells and DNA and is that, or is that just the calcification is just too much? Well, no, movement is life. Okay. Movement is, that's the key to life. That's when you hear people say that they, um, like, for instance, the um, people that are in nursing homes now, they used to say, oh, they didn't want to do any type of uh, resistance training. And now they realize that when they do the resistance training, it, it keeps their bone density sound because the muscles are pulling on the tendons. The tendons are attached to the bone, okay? And that stimulates the bones, which puts the calcium back into their bones. Yeah. Okay? And usually as we age, what happens is, we tend to take more calcium out of our bones and leave it in our blood. So our blood and our bones mm. will exchange calcium as needed. Okay. Okay. So we have an even exchange where the calcium is going in as needed and then we get rid of what we don't need. As we age, we don't put the calcium in as fast as we take it out. So if we don't take calcium in our diet, then we take it from the bones. Your blood is always going to have a certain calcium level. Okay. Uh, and that's just for function. So when that calcium level drops, you steal it from your bones. Okay. And that's where and that's where the the brittle bones come back in as we age, just because we we didn't have it in our diet, so it's got to go back into the blood. Right. So the, the osteopenia, osteoporosis, the biggest thing that they tell them to do use resistance training because that resistance training changes the structure of the bone. You know, and uh, NASA astronauts. Okay, astronauts. They go in outer space. What do you always see them doing? They're always exercising. exercising. Exactly. Absolutely. Why are they exercising? Because they're going to get out of shape? No. <laughs> because, <laughs> they're very fit. Yeah. Right. Because they have, um, they're in a zero gravity environment. 
So there's less gravitational force on their body, which means they have less calcium in the bones. So they start leaching calcium into the blood because they don't need all that. Right. Okay. Our gravitational forces here, they dictate how much calcium we have in our bones. So when they get up there, so they're exercising, so the muscles pull on the bones, so they keep their calcium. They're going to lose some anyway. Right. And that's why they have to send up astronaut, different astronauts. They don't just keep sending the same guys up because it takes them about a year to recover. So, wow. yeah, they lose, um, they actually gain, was it six millimeters uh, in height or whatever at first? There's a specific measurement that they gain like the first um, couple days up in, outer, uh, up in a weightless environment. Wow. Because now oh, they're, everything is now expanding. So they're decompressed. Yeah. So a lot of times they'll come back, they'll have back issues because now they have less compression on the discs. Mm. The ligaments have to stretch. So, you know, it's like putting somebody on a traction table for uh, 24 hours a day, you know? So yeah, so the calcification, so the exercise helps with that. That is one thing that they really they realize that. So if you look at that, that tells you movement creates function. Movement keeps the body stasis, the homeostasis of the body, to where the framework that your body is all attached to, that's got to be healthy. If that's healthy, then what's attached to it will be healthy. Yeah. And then you sense. have specialists such as yourself that look at it and say, okay, structure is good, you know. You know, I've cleared out the joint function. Mm-hmm. You're looking at the weakness. Yep. And, and you look at, if you have joint function and you have strengthening and you combine the two, then the sky's the limit. I can imagine uh, that the MRI, uh, what was it? What would you, what'd you call it? The, the, the MRI that goes on both sides of the spine. Oh, the surface EMG? The surface EMG. Yeah. So, not MRI, sorry. The surface EMG. I can only visualize that being part of the screening process. Yeah, it's a great screen. It is. As as even you know, athletes like hey, we're gonna we we looked at feet right, and we checked all the way up, and now we're into that spine. Let's look at the look at look at the EMG and see what's firing off and what's not. Especially for rotate, I think rotational athletes would probably benefit the most. Yeah. Out of having the surface EMG. Uh, really just dictate oh well this is the this rhomboid this part of the rhomboid is not mm-hmm. not acting nice let's let's fix that and see what we can do so i can wow the 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 technology and, and the way that we can assess has changed um, 10 in, in 10 years yeah i'm sure what it looks like in the next 10 years as a standard treatment like a standard evaluation um I know at least in our standard evaluation, we are we're doing hands on. We're we're mm-hmm. we're checking the feet. We're checking the posture. We're doing functional movement screenings, but there's a limitation to what I can do and versus what you can do, and that's where I think the the mesh between the two is going to be unparalleled. Yeah, it definitely is. And 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 here's the thing with Service EMG, I used it as a tool when I was going to school. When I was going to school in Dallas. And was doing screenings, mm-hmm. um, and we're doing screenings in gyms in different facilities, and you can have all the knowledge in the world and sit there and talk to somebody, but the printout from the scan from the computer printout, that's what they pay attention to. People like graphics; they want to see it. They're visual. It's tangible. So they don't want to. You know, sometimes when they listen to you, it's overkill because it's like all this information and they have a hard time processing it. But if you can give them a printout saying, okay, specifically. You're overusing the upper part of your back against the lower part of your back, so you don't have that proper cross crawl of the extensor muscles. And this is a print out of it, and then we can use this to fix. I mean, they literally will take that and run with it. 
and effectively develop an exercise prescription that allows them to function better, relieve that upper back or lower. Now, now I guess the stress would be into the lower back, I'm assuming. Well, um, it, it just, or vice versa. Yeah, it, well, it's just, it, it's, that's where it starts, though. It takes, sometimes it takes that visual representation of that testing to say, okay, because you could say, here's where your dysfunction is. I could say, here's where your dysfunction is. But if I do a scan and put it up on the screen, you're going to go, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's the area that you were telling yes. us about the first time. Got you. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that is a tool to show, um, to show the dysfunction. Because if because with, with surface EMG, surface EMG will pick up muscular tension. It will pick up uh, heat, uh, thermographs. So it'll tell you because any area of your body that is not producing, it's not firing properly, that motor unit is what mm-hmm. it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, when that motor unit doesn't fire properly, it causes dysfunction. And it's going to show you that um, there's going to be more tension there. So you have increased temperature, increased rigidity. Um, and there's going to be more surface tension for that uh, electronic impulse to get through. In, in the evaluation um, using the EMG, the, would you have the athlete go through a warm-up to circulate blood or, or to, to increase body temperature? Or d- does it really... No. It d- d- does it matter? Because it's, it's, it's working on tissue resistance and muscle spasms too. Okay. So it's taken multiple things into effect that if that's happening increased temperature that means that the nerve is over firing to that muscle so if the nerve is over firing then um, then the muscle is overactive so that means that the opposing side is either underactivated or that side's overactivated so you know there's dysfunction at that level so then you trace that back to that level of the spine to find out is it a joint issue okay is the joint dysfunctional you clear that joint out and then you see how it affects the, the actual muscles. The actual muscle, right? Yeah. And then the actual firing. So when you clear, you clear all those areas out, and then you say, okay, I've cleared them out, but I'm still seeing there's an imbalance in overuse on the right side. So that's when you would have, you would set up a program and say, all right, we're gonna create that symmetry. Mm-hmm. But you could literally, I mean, it's not a bad idea, actually, what you're saying. You could scan them static. Yeah, and then, and then have them work out, and then scan them again, okay? See if there's, if there's any other underlining uh, areas or even how much more inflammation is really really there well what, you, what, what you'll find is the areas that are dysfunctional they'll they'll register higher yeah okay so what we what we were doing was we do the scans and say okay here's a pre-adjustment post-adjustment scan and you could see how it cleared it out well yeah and it had an effect so it was not based on the spine itself it was based on what was coming away from the spine and adjusting the spine so if you always come back to the central part of it, then you know once you once you reset the firing into the muscles, and you know it may just be the joint, but if there's myofascial dysfunction mm-hmm. or if there's scarring in there, um, then it won't be reset. Then you have to say, okay, I've reset the spine. Now we got to take it a little further. Now we got to find out is there a trigger point in the rhomboid or paraspinals or where's that layer of dysfunction? That's where we get back to where we originally started with. Yeah. So using different techniques to do that, whether it's computerized, but what it comes down to is you've got to have somebody that can functionally evaluate, make the change, then recheck it. Makes sense. Um, how often, and we'll, we're getting ready to wrap this up, and, and um, I, my last question would be, how often would you go back through surface EMG, or how often would you go back through you know, a functional movement screening to, to check? How how soon is too soon and then how is it too late 
what's what that timeline? What um, would that look like? Well, I would. It's going to be something you're working towards. So, it depends on what you you know put together a treatment plan to say. All right, we're going to realistically put together. We'll say a three month treatment plan, not for pain, for function. For function, correct. Right. We're going to put you through. And I don't know what you what do you typically treat six to eight weeks maybe. Six to eight weeks, in 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 especially if we're trying to. Um, improve just a basic function right i can say you know three months you'll see the increase in strength right uh and good new adaptions Uh, and then obviously six months you're you're moving on to to newer things well i would do tighter screens to begin with like once a week okay okay Uh, at first just to show that there is rather rapid change and just like anything else you're going to see more rapid change then you'll see smaller progressive changes, which means the body's accepting it. It's not going back to the original state because you're changing the body so you're disrupting the stasis that it was in and not that it was in a good stasis, but it had found a level where it kind of functioned. Now you're stirring it up and you want to reset it. So um, typically I would recheck once a week. Uh, it's, it's one of those, it doesn't affect the body in a negative way. You can do it as much as you want. Uh, some people I would do it after each treatment to see where I'm at to make sure that we're still targeting the right areas. Okay. Um, and then it would show a, pro- a progress as far as how your scans are changing over a month. These are your first four scans for month one. These are your second four scans. And then you start comparing the months to see where the change is. And then see where you're at with your goal. If you need to reset it after three months, uh, you know, some people won't take that long. It depends on how effective you are at figuring out where the problem is. Makes sense. Um... Well, Doc, I appreciate your time. Um, I think kind of the takeaways have, it's it's always one of those things where it's the evaluation. For us, it starts at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where you and I think on the, on the same levels, it's well, what's the underlying cause? You, you may come in and, and, you know, my knee is tweaked, but why? You know, how much knee valgus is, or is there VMO activation? Is there, are your quads overacting? Are you underactive in the hamstrings? Um, so I think that's, that aligns up very, very well. Um, how, again, it's almost like we start from that ground up and we look at the feet, we look at the, the knees, we look at the hip, we look at the shoulders. And if it's asymmetrical, Mm. we're, we're, we're okay. We can start moving on to certain things. Um, but it's that ground up approach or that even in your in that down approach in some some cases. Um, well, I mean, it could be structural. You could start with just arch supports, you know. Do they have proper arch supports in their feet? <laughs> A lot of times we'll start with the feet, you know. Um, Q angle, uh, angle, Q angle for the hips, you know. What, what's affecting the Q angle? Because if you have dropped arches or flat feet, then the uh, tibia is going to drop, you know. And tibia drops, it's going to throw off the Q angle, you know. It's going to change the whole and you're gonna have more medial placed issues on the knee, and then you start doing repetitive motion. So it's, it's more about assessment, starting to make sure that everything's structurally aligned. And, and then you can even do this analysis where you do the, the stick figure, line figures, where it's drawing the lines on the body, you've seen those. Yes, yeah. And saying, all right, here we are, look at the different angles, is our angles good? Start you know with the most common deficiencies. Scoliosis in the back, um, leg length inequity, Mm-hmm. and arches and everything else will probably seem to kind of work itself out to yeah. where now the strengthening of those muscles can begin right or yeah. you can at least say all right here's a weakness but here's how we're going to correct it 
where they're going to do it with corrective arches, okay, which is going to lift it up and then put you in a position. Now when we strengthen you, we're going to strengthen you in the proper cue angle, okay. Now there's no more stress on your knees. Instead of waiting till you're 10, 12, 15 years old and you say, oh my God, my knee hurts on the inside. Or, you know, have I developed that Oshkosh slaughter syndrome on my knee where I got that lump on there that a lot of kids get? Yeah, that's a huge... We see those almost on a weekly basis. Yeah. Hey, my, my and coach, I can't run today. Yeah. My, my knee, Oscar slot, we hear it so much. Yeah. And it just sort of some, started something simple with an insert when they were younger, before that happened. Well, that, that one's a big, that one, and I know from playing soccer, um, is overdevelopment of the quads in relation to the other part of your leg. Absolutely. You know, so yes. you, you know the quad is developing faster than the body can actually de- develop the calcium for the tendon to attach to the bone. You know, so that's where you that's where you need somebody that can determine that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So everybody wants uh, who was that uh, skier that skater with the huge thighs? Um, uh, is it Eric Heidelman uh, or something? Eric, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the guy who had the thighs like balloons. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what everybody kind of, you know, they try to get their thighs that big or, you know, Shaquan Barkley, look how big his thighs are, you yeah. know, that's, you know, he's, he's got a balance in his legs that his quads are thick and huge, but the rest of his legs are too. Yeah. His, so, his glutes and hamstrings are, yeah. are just as symmetrically as large. Right. Exactly. And he so, produces power. Exactly. And that's why he's able to come right in and perform because he does have that, he has that balance in his legs. He doesn't have overdevelopment of just the uh, quadriceps. Oh, fantastic. All right. Well, Doc, I appreciate the time. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, man. This episode is brought to you by Athlete Care. Athlete Care is ground force strength and conditioning training systems flagship product, able to help parents and coaches home screen their athletes, improve exercise selections, and communicate directly with certified strength and conditioning coaches. Head over to groundforcestrength.com for more information.